You're clocked out. We're locked in. You're listening to Crunch Time with Miguez and Mesh here on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Welcome into Crunch Time here on a Wednesday edition here on the game, Southwest Louisiana sports station in your home for the World Series champion Houston Astros and the national champion LSU Tigers. Matt Miguez here, the game hotline is 337-706-0111. And here in Acadiana, you can check us out on our simulcast by going to Stadium 32.3, Channel 133 on LUS Fiber. We are broadcasting live from the FCO Development Studios in Upper Lafayette. FCO Development is a civil construction company that specializes in new multifamily construction. You just heard the Houston Astros take down the Detroit Tigers by a final score of 8 to two much better game than the previous two against Detroit for the Houston Astros. Kyle Tucker gets a home run in this one as well as an RBI double. Jeremy Pena comes up with a two-run homer. And then, of course, you got to see the Chaz Chomp as Chaz McCormick launched a two-run shot as well. Again, 8-2. Christian Javier gets the win. He goes six innings, only gives up one run. He strikes out five in the contest with the win the Astros go to three and four on the season and the Detroit Tigers fall to two and four your best bat your best batting line of the day is a tie between Kyle Tucker and Chaz McCormick they both went two for four with a run scored home run and and a pair of RBIs uh, Kyle Tucker's batting average now up to 333 on the year Jose Abreu and Jordan Alvarez, 345 and 348, respectively, so far on the season. The Astros will have a day off tomorrow before they play Minnesota this weekend up in Minneapolis. Let's bring in my producer and co-host now, Mr. James Mesh. James, hello, sir. I'm doing absolutely fine, Matt. How was I didn't you? ask how you were doing. I said, hello, well, sir. I'm doing fine. <laughs> how are you, buddy? I'm doing good. I'm good. Good. How about good. you on this Wednesday? I'm, I'm doing well. I'm doing well. It's absolutely fantastic. It is, isn't it? It is. You know, it, it, it's a good thing, Pepper, when, when other people are doing well. Absolutely, Cotton. I mean, it's just... Like, just seeing other people's days be bright just makes mine brighter. No, abs- absolutely. Absolutely. Looking at today's poll question of the day up on Facebook and Twitter... With the Easter holiday right around the corner, what's your favorite Easter candy? Is it Peeps? Is it Cadbury cream eggs? Is it jelly beans? Or is it something else? James, before I get to the results, I'm going to ask you, what is your favorite candy to consume during the Easter holiday? And a chocolate bunny doesn't count. What do you mean it doesn't count? That's way too basic. That doesn't count. What do you mean? That does not count. It says it in the in the question. What is your favorite Easter candy, excluding a chocolate bunny? That's too basic. Well, that's just not right. It's it's too basic. Well, I'm not one to eat the cream eggs. Jelly beans are pretty fire though. I've I've had Peeps a couple of times, nope. but nope. Peeps are just a marshmallow, and marshmallows are they're okay for me. But if I had to choose between one of the three, I would go with jelly beans. I'm out of those three. I'm gonna go with jelly beans as well. But knowing you, you would probably go with basically the Reese's egg. Yes, 
Yes. And I'm going to tell you why I'm going to go with the Reese's egg. Because I'm right. Reese's peanut butter cups are an all-time candy. They are. They're fantastic. But, and I've seen a couple of people comment this, there's something about the egg. Something about that chocolate. It's just different. I don't know what it is. Maybe it's a placebo effect. Maybe it's all in our heads. But the Reese's egg tastes superior to any other Reese's. Point blank. It just tastes different. It tastes better. The Reese's egg is where it's at. Close second is the trees that you get at Christmas. The Reese's trees. Those those are close. But the egg, man, it's just... Chef's kiss. It's absolutely fantastic. But no. Were you ever good at Easter egg hunts? Yes. Yes. What was your game plan for that? Because mine's usually to just get as many eggs as possible. No. To, to ultimately win. No, no. Got to find the big ones. Got to find the big ones. You get a couple of the little ones, you know, as, as you as you move around, but you got to find the big ones that are hidden because that's where all the money is, and that's where all the good stuff is. So I I let the little kids do the oh get as many eggs as you can. Nah, man, I, I found the good ones. Where's the good ones at? Yeah, but if you get enough of the small ones while getting a couple of the big ones, it's going to add up pretty quickly. I mean, sure, bud. Sure, bud. Today's show is going to be jam-packed. Jay Walker is going to join us here in about 10 minutes to talk UL and Marshall. We'll also recap a wild game at the Teague last night. That almost got away from Louisiana. Uh, at 5 o'clock, Lucas Weiss. He is the Associate Director of News over at The Athletic. He's going to join us. We'll talk some college basketball as the national championships were earlier this week. Plus, we'll preview the Masters getting underway tomorrow. And then at 5.30, Houdat Wednesday with our guy, Brendan Ertle. We'll talk about the New Orleans Saints, the visits that they have scheduled this week with draft prospects, what it could mean, where are the Saints still leaning with, with that number 29 overall pick as we're about three weeks away from the draft. We'll do all that and more throughout today's show. Don't go anywhere. You're listening to Crunch Time right here on The Game. You're listening to The Game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Slings it far side. Stingley steps inside the receiver and picks it off. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. A shot to left field. Going back on its Gordon. He'll look up. at a goner. Your home. For the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. 422, welcome back to Crunch Time. Matt Miguez, James Mesh. Once again, give us a call on the game hotline. It's 337-706-0111. Let's break down that Houston Astros win over the Detroit Tigers. Once again, 8-2 this afternoon in Minute Maid Park. We'll start with the scoring in the second inning. Chaz McCormick hits the two-run home run to left center to give... The Astros, the early 2-0 lead. The Tigers would come back in the third with a RBI infield single to make it 2-1. In the fourth, the Astros were able to put a pair of runs up with a Kyle Tucker solo homer to right field before a Corey Jolks sacrifice fly to score David Hensley to make it 4-1. And then in the seventh, 
Alvarez hits an RBI sacrifice fly to score Jeremy Pena, and then a RBI double by Kyle Tucker to score Alex Bregman quickly made it 6-1. to one. And then in the eighth, Austin Meadows gets a single to left field to score Riley Green to make it 6-2 to two before Jeremy Pena hits a two-run homer to left in the eighth to give the Astros the 8-2 to two win. The Astros throw nine strikeouts in the contest, only issued two walks. They had zero stolen bases. After Javier left the mound, Brian Abreu came in and pitched an inning. He walked two, struck out one. Rafael Montero pitched an inning as well, gave up two hits, one run, struck out two. And then Ryan Presley comes in for the save, throws one inning with no hits and one strikeout. James, you know... We knew going into this season that with the Astros, things weren't going to get off to an incredible start just because of the amount of injuries that they have right now with Jose Altuve and Lance McCullers Jr. But and Michael Brantley as well. But for them to drop three straight games and then bounce back today with the win that they that they got over Detroit. How does that set them up going on the road to Minnesota this weekend? I think it's good that you were able to actually end the series on a win because you had your offense is starting to look good, but it was kind of like the pitching and the defense was giving up too many runs in the games. You and ultimately today the bats were still kind of hot for them. They ended up getting eleven hits and it resulted in eight runs, but the fact that the defense only gave up two runs that's, yeah, that's, that's going to be really helpful because you're going to need that pitching to step up a little bit more, especially on the road. Yeah, that was it was a huge performance by by the pitching staff, and you know we talked about the the series they have coming up with the Twins. You look at the Twins; they're off to a four and two start on the season. They lost earlier today. Uh, they were supposed to play the Astros tomorrow, but it got postponed due to weather. So the series is going to get underway on Friday. But if you look at their statistics. So far on the season, Carlos Correa hitting 208 with two RBIs. He struck out six times so far on the young season. Trevor Larnick has really been a, an interesting player for them, as well as Joey Gallo. Larnick hitting 391 with six RBIs so far on the season. He has a triple and a homer. And then Joey Gallo has three home runs already with seven RBIs, hitting 235 so far on the season. You also have former Astros catcher Christian Vasquez over in Minnesota as well. Byron Buxton in center field. Look, I think that this is a series where the Astros can go and get back on the right track if the pitching continues to do what it's done. Limit runs, offense needs to produce, and the Astros could find themselves... Five and five when when you come back to Houston. And, and I think that that's a huge place for Houston to be with the way that this season has started. Because you're, like I said, you're going to play the three game set with Minnesota. And then you're actually going to go to Pittsburgh early next week, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. You'll be back in Houston next Friday. So say you win two out of three in Pittsburgh as well, you're seven and six coming back to Houston. That's much better than 3 and 4. I'll take 7 and 6 over 3 and 4 all day long. Um and so 
really looking to win four out of the next six here if you're the Astros. Absolutely, Matt. You want to play above 500 baseball, especially on the road, coming back home to extend really your record to get back on track because you started off kind of slow. Thank starting you. off starting off two and three. Matt. Thank you, Pepper. Thank you. Thank you, Pepper. Really appreciate you. Um, God, this guy. And so, look, again, obviously it, it's always an extra level of drama when you go play a, a former star of yours like – Carlos Correa is with the Minnesota Twins, but you can't let that bother you. Go play baseball, pitch well, get some runs, because that's one thing that the Astros have kind of struggled with. If you look at their, if you look at their numbers, two, six, six, three, six, three, and then you got eight today. So kind of up and down in terms of the runs. Let's get six consistently. Let's average six runs a game. Because, you know, they, they, they say that you win games if you score more runs than the other team. Yeah, usually in getting some home runs like we had seen today, getting three of them compared to Detroit's zero. Yeah, right. That's a recipe for success. One thing that was interesting with this game, though, is if you look at Detroit, they had four stolen bases. Mm-hmm. The Astros had zero. So the Astros weren't very active on the base path today, which has never really been one of their strong suits. No, you don't. Um, you don't see the Houston Astros usually going for stolen bases. But Detroit came into this game today with zero stolen bases on the season, and they got four. So I, that kind of threw me off a little bit. But again, three and four on the season. You're currently third in the AL West, tied with the Mariners for now. Because you've, if you look at the division, well, actually, currently you're not tied with them anymore. Um, they are actually in last at two and four. You're three and four, sitting at third. The Rangers lead the division. They're four and two. The Angels behind them at three and two. Uh, the Astros one and a half games back of the Texas Rangers, which has been a while since you've said that because the Rangers have struggled for for a while. Hey, copy the stadium. Maybe you copy the Astros' success. We'll see what happens. Now we we were talking about the Twins a little earlier, and you you quickly mentioned Buxton, but I think he's someone that you kind of need to look at because you talked about Joey Gallo, you talked about the former Astro and Carlos Correa, but looking at Buxton, I mean, he's hitting pretty well himself. He's got seven hits, and he's got a three fifty batting average right now with a slugging percentage at five hundred. So it's like that's somebody else you need to look out for in this Twins game. And, and the thing with Byron Buxton that that's so interesting is. His speed. Mm-hmm. He is one of the fastest guys in the in the majors, and so it, it's going to be interesting to see when the Astros get hits out to center field. Are are you going to be, be able, able to, to catch them? Right. Are you going to be able to get them? How are you going to keep it away from Byron Buxton? I um, mean, you're gonna. Ha- it's going to have to leave the yard because otherwise, there's a really good chance that he's going to get there. He's He's been a Golden Glove outfielder. Um, he's, a, he's an all-star. Again, one of the fastest guys in the league. He's going to make plays. So you, you better be prepared to, if you get robbed. You either have to get it on the ground or out of the park if you're Houston. Um, so it, it'll be a good series for sure. Uh, the, the day off is going to be warranted. It, it works out in their favor now because you were going to have to turn around, get on a plane tonight, and play tomorrow. Now it won't be as quick of a turnaround for you. Um, so I think that's crucial for for the Astros to get that day of rest even early on in the season. 
But we'll take a time out here on Crunch Time when we return Cajuns Corner with Jay Walker. We'll talk about the Cajuns win over Tulane last night, plus preview the weekend series with Marshall right here on the game. This is Crunch Time on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. If you want to see the defending World Series champs in person, well, then you're in luck because the game 1037 Lafayette wants to hook you up with our first Astros weekend getaway of the season. Houston takes on the Texas Rangers on Saturday, April 15th, and you can be there. Register in the Game Rewards Club at 1037thegame.com to score four tickets, a tour of Minute Maid Park, and hotel accommodations that Saturday night. Astros weekend getaways are powered by Butcher Air Conditioning, La Meridian Houston downtown, and the game at Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. Going deep downfield, he's got a receiver, it's caught! Touchdown, Louisiana! Can't get enough of the vermilion and white? Then you're in luck. Here is the Cajuns Corner with the longtime voice of the Raging Cajuns, Jay Walker, on Crunch Time with Miguez and Mesh. Jay Walker, how the hell are you, sir? I'm, uh, I'm good. I'm, you know, here in Charleston uh, at the hotel, and I just walked out the back door and gosh we're right on the river they got uh, some places to sit outside they got a fire pit in case it gets cold tonight i mean uh i'm okay what's the what's the weather report in charleston well you know what there's a front coming and um but but right now it's 85 degrees um but the high temperature tomorrow after this front moves through is going to be like 57 so um Going to be uh, going to be low sixties um, during the day, and then uh, low forties at night. Before we get to this series, let's let's look at last night's game. You know, an eight to seven win for Louisiana over Tulane. You put up a pair of crooked numbers in in the third and fifth innings, and you you were cruising seven to one going into the ninth, and then Tulane puts up six in the ninth. What happened? Uh, well, you know. First of all, you wound up giving up, I think, 11 or 12 free base runners during the course of the game. That That's kind of like something they had gotten away from, but they lapsed back into it last night. And then, you know, they you walk a guy, you give up a base hit, and the guy hits a jack, and then you walk two more guys, and the guy gives up a jack. And, um, you know, now you're sitting there, and it's and it's 7-7, seven, seven, and it's interesting because the guy who hit the home run, uh, the, the, the one who hit the second home run, Morrow, that's a kid from St. Thomas More. And, uh, and the pitcher was Ben Tate, who's from Tarlings. So that was a little story within the story. But, you know, that, um, you know, gratefully, they got, uh, they got a run in the bottom of the ninth inning to win it. That would have, God, that would have been a terrible loss. But the reality of the situation is it wasn't a loss. It was a win. Um, I probably I, – I was laughing up in the booth when, when, uh, when Top talked to Coach Deggs after the game because I don't know, even Tony in, in his – I don't think was ever that PO'd after a win. Now, Jay, in, in your career, how many times have you seen a walk-off wild pitch? Mm, Can't actually, be that many. More often than you might think. Really? I'll bet you at – oh, yeah, I'll, I'll say between six and ten times. So, you know, looking at the 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 heat of the game, Ben Robichaux gets his first home run as a Cajun. C.J. Willis gets his first home run of the season. 
John Taylor really playing well at shortstop in the absence of of Kyle DeBarge. You know, what stood out to you from from the Cajun side of things last night? Well, you know, they did they did swing it well, but the thing that I think irritated Matt besides the what happened in the ninth inning was this team um in his words, took too many fastballs. And, and so as a result, once again, you had, a, you had a, a high strikeout game, which is something that you had pretty much all weekend against App State. So that is something that, you know, they're on their way to uh, Huntington now to practice. And uh, I, I'm sure that, uh, you know, they – look, he took them out in the outfield to talk to him after the game last night. I don't remember him ever, ever doing that because he didn't want anybody to hear what he had to say. And you know now they they look to play a, a Marshall squad. Now, one thing that's interesting about this series is with Marshall's baseball stadium being built, renovated, whatever term you want to use. They're, they're playing at a minor league park in Charleston this weekend. Do you think, for, from your perspective, how much different is it to play in a, a minor league park as it is to play, you know, somewhere like the Teak? Um, I don't think it's much different at all because the Teague is as good as any minor league park in, in A or A or Double A. Um, so I don't think you know I don't think it's that big a deal uh, at all. I think it would have been a bigger deal if they weren't playing at the minor league park and they were playing at the Kennedy YMCA field in Huntington, which doesn't have lights. Um, you know, I'm glad they're playing here because they're going to be playing in something that looks like a ballpark. I, I think it would have been a bigger deal if they weren't playing here. Now, looking at Marshall's schedule, they're going to play a top 25 team in West Virginia tonight in Charleston before they host the Cajuns this weekend. Do you think it benefits the Cajuns that Marshall's not going to have any rest coming into this series? Yeah, I don't know. Um, You know, I don't expect that Marshall's going to throw anybody that's going to throw this weekend except guys that they may plan to use on Saturday. Um and the, and those guys probably wouldn't go more than an inning or two, so I you know I I think when you're in a situation like this, even though you'd love to win because it's an in-state rivalry against a Big Twelve school, I I think that you know I think that they under look he I don't think this guy's going to do what Mike Bollinger used to do, and go ahead and hold out Gary Hot and Javi De Jesus to go pitch against LSU. I don't think he's going to do that. He's got conference this weekend, and I think that's important to him. Jay Walker joining us here for Cajun's Corner. You know, talk about Marshall, 13 and 12 on the season. Uh, you know, what stands out about them? Where where can they, you know, exploit the Cajuns this weekend? Well, I think the number one guy is, is a pretty good arm. As a matter of fact, he's already been the pitcher of the week because he shut down Old Dominion when they played, and Old Dominion can really score runs. Um so they've got they've got that guy. You know they they took two out of three at ULM last weekend. All of the games were low scoring. Um, Marshall's got a new coach. They um, gosh, I, I want to say they only won like maybe fifteen games all of last year. So this is a much better Marshall team than I think we expected them to have. They were picked I think thirteenth out of fourteen teams, uh, but they're better than that. And uh, you know. You're playing on the road. I think before the season started, maybe your goal was to get three. I think the goal now is to get two because they're a better team than what we thought they were going to be. 
and the Cajuns are on the road. So we'll see. Um, I know that when they go out there tomorrow that, um, you know, Hammond is going to have to match their guy and um, – and the Cajuns find a way to win that one, and then I think they're going to be favored in the last two. Uh, and uh, uh, the, the the rotation's been changed up. You saw last night, so he's not throwing this weekend, uh, and they are not going to they're not going to start uh, Cooper Rawls because they really need him uh, to shore up the bullpen. So it's going to be Hammond tomorrow. Blake McGee he is going to get the start on Friday. And then Nazu will go Saturday on normal rest. Now, Jay, is there anything with with, with Cajuns baseball? I, I know DeBarge is still out. Toit's going to be out for a couple of more weeks. You know, one, once those, both of those guys come back, you know, how much better? And, and not to say that the Cajuns are a bad baseball team because clearly they're not. They're twenty and nine so far on the season. How much well, better can this team get with Toit and DeBarge back? Well, I, I'll tell you, and 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 I I said this said this to y'all last week. You know, DeBarge is the juice box, and he's here, and he's going to be doing his thing from the dugout. But it's not the same as him doing his thing on the field. He is so much more than an outstanding shortstop who hits the ball. Because you know, Taylor in that regard is filling in fine. But there's an intangible that DeBarge brings that they're missing right now. And I really think they missed it last weekend. Hopefully, this weekend it's not going to be quite as bad. And, and look, there's no guarantee he's back next weekend. You know, they're, they're hopeful, but, but there's no guarantee. Um, you know, Toits, you know, gosh, every time I talked to, to Coach Denks, he said, man, he said, we really miss Toit. And because he's a guy from the left side, that can come in and shut you down. Now, Ben Tate gave up the home run last night, but Tate has really, really good stuff, and I'm very impressed with how much better he's gotten since the beginning of the year. But Toit's a weapon in the bullpen, and when they get him back, I think that's going to be a bigger deal than most people think. Cajun softball hosting South Alabama for three games this weekend. They're going to play a doubleheader on Saturday and then wrap it up on Sunday. You know, lo- looking at the Cajun softball team coming in with, with a 26-10 and 10 record, South Alabama coming in with a very similar record. Uh, South Alabama and Texas State might be the two toughest teams that the Cajuns face in the Sun Belt this year. Well, you know, you're, and I think you need to add Troy to that too. And you play those three teams the next three weeks. You've got South Alabama at home, Texas State at home, then you go to Troy. So, you know, if the Cajuns are going to win the regular season championship, these next nine games are huge. Um, you know, South Alabama's got Olivia Lackey. She's pitcher of the week again this week in the league. She hasn't had very much success against the Cajuns. She's a rise ball pitcher, and they've done a pretty good job of taking that pitch away from her. And as a result, she struggled against the Cajuns. But, you know, she's a girl that's from Louisiana. And I can guarantee you that she is going to, uh, she's going to come in with fire in her eyes this weekend. And um, so I don't think, you know, I don't think any of these series are going to be easy. Um, South Al- Look, South Alabama's good. Um, they may be the second or third best team in the league depending on whether you like them or you like Texas State. But um, these next three weekends are huge for the Cajuns. Fortunately, 
they've got two of the three at home. And then next week, you know, you talked about the series with Texas State. There's a pair of midweek games next week at Baylor and at Texas A&M. How important are those games going to be for, for RPI reasons? They're huge. You know, you, you, uh, you have success there. You know, it's, it's a couple of more teams, uh, wins against ranked teams, or teams that have a very good RPI. Look, the Cajuns are at 12 right now. And South Alabama, Texas State, Troy, the two games next uh, week in the middle of the week, they're huge RPI games. You know, you win your share of those, your RPI may be in the top 10, and now you're not only talking about hosting, you're talking about possibly, if you don't stub your toe the rest of the season, possibly having an outside shot at being a top eight national seed. So these, these games are really, really big. Jay, appreciate your time as always. Um, in, enjoy the weekend in Charleston. Have a great call, and uh, we'll, we'll talk to you again next week. Appreciate as always you having me on. Uh, thanks a lot. Go Cajuns. And there he goes, the voice of the Cajuns, Mr. Jay Walker. We'll take a time out here on Crunch Time, and we will wrap up our number one right after this. This is Crunch Time on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. The world-famous Angola Prison Rodeo is coming back and the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles has your free tickets. Text RODEO to 337-283-8100. That's RODEO to 337-283-8100. The Angola Prison Rodeo returns April 22nd and 23rd, and you can see all the excitement from bull riding, wild horse racing, and even convict poker. Once again, text RODEO to 337-283-8100 to watch the world-famous Angola Prison Rodeo courtesy of Southwest. This is Crunch Time. Live from the Evco Development Studios in Upper Lafayette on the game. 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Welcome back to Crunch Time. Wrapping up our number one. Don't forget to vote on the poll question of the day if you haven't already on Facebook and Twitter. What's going to be your favorite Easter candy to go with? You can't do a chocolate bunny boat because that's way too basic. Are you going to do some peeps? I know a lot of people love peeps. Do you want some Cadbury cream eggs? you want some jelly beans? Or is there something else that you're going to go with currently? Other is leading the polls, Matt. Are you that surprised? Peeps are bad. Bad. Pe- peeps to me are kind of a... They're a bad marshmallow. They're not that great. Well, here's here's the thing. I and, think they're, and this they're is... pretty overrated because a lot of, a lot of kind of like the... Older people, I guess you could say, they kind of prefer them. Oh, he's calling out the old people. I remember my mom would tell me, she was like, I used to have an old boyfriend. He he loved peeps. Look, I don't really like s'mores. You're not a s'more guy? Because of a marshmallow. Really? I don't like marshmallows. I can't do it. I don't know if it's the texture or, or, or what. Not a marshmallow fan. See, I thought it was just maybe. I thought for you it was just specifically the, but it's more marshmallows it, in yeah, general. It's marshmallows in general. Okay, because no, I, mean, I can enjoy I'll myself a good s'more. s'more. I'll eat a s'more every now and again, but most of the time I'll just take the graham crackers and the chocolate and just just that eat itself. That. So what about if there's like a s'mores like protein or candy bar? That I'll eat. You can eat that for sure. That I'll eat, but it's the actual marshmallow that I just can't do. Is it 
Like, what about it? Is it too I, sweet? The texture? I, I, don't, I don't know if it's the consistency, the texture. I, I don't really know. I just don't. I'm not a fan. It, it, it gets stuck inside your mouth and just ugh, not good. You know what I'm not a fan of? Losing to the Sacramento Kings. As as you shouldn't be. Because uh, we talked about it on yesterday's show. We thought Pels had a good opportunity to get one, start this three-game homestand right before the playoffs, start off right. I mean, Kings, maybe they don't feel as motivated because they're kind of sort of stuck in that three seed, whereas the Pels are trying to move up. And not only did they lose, and then it wasn't and that then, close. And then the Kings said, here's DeMontis Sabonis. There you go. 16 points, 12 rebounds, 11 assists. Darren Fox gets 23 points, 5 boards, 9 assists. Keegan Murray scores 21 of his own, 7 of 10 from downtown. I mean, look, you you put those three stat lines together, I don't think anybody's winning. And, and that's exactly what you saw last night. I mean, look, Brandon Ingram, you, you may look at his stat line and go, oh, well, he had 22 points. He did it. He had to do it on seven of fifteen shooting, and nobody else really shot the ball well. Herb Jones went five of ten, which is okay. Jonas Valanciunas went five of ten, which is okay. And then C.J. McCollum. Here, this is this is what I've been talking about, James. He he plays well for a couple of games, and then he really disappears for a couple of games. Your number one scoring guard cannot be shooting six of nineteen. Can't. You just can't. You traded for the guy to be your scorer. You can't shoot thirty three percent from the field. And also, what have we what have we said about CJ's entire career? He's a deadly three point shooter. Cat went zero for four from downtown. He gets so cold at times for three point line. It's crazy. Zero for four from downtown. You can't do it. You will never win basketball game. You sure as hell won't win a championship that way. And now look, the Pelicans are sitting in the eighth spot, probably now won't find their way out of the play-in tournament. Yeah, you you need to go pretty much 3-0. and and you yeah, you got to go undefeated. You need to go undefeated, and you probably need some help from other teams as well. I'd, uh, you, need, you need the Lakers to lose, because you need to go pretty much, if you go undefeated, you would need the Lakers to le- lose at least a game or two. And, like, there's just a lot more that you need help from now because and, and, you lost this game to the Kings. And, and I'm sorry. I, I'm kind of starting to question some of Willie Green's decisions. Why isn't Dyson Daniels playing more? We we had the same question last year with Trey Murphy. Why is he not playing more? He only played 13 minutes last night. And in those 13 minutes, 4-4 of four from the field, 1-1 one of one from downtown. He had, he had three free throws as well and had four rebounds. Now, granted, would he have stayed perfect if he played longer? No, probably not. But the efficiency that Dyson Daniels brings, night in and night out, yet he only plays 15 to 20 minutes, maybe. It was that same thing that you saw with the Kings from Malik Monk. Like He he was very efficient from the field last night, and he had a huge spark off the bench for the Kings. It's the same thing with the Celtics with... Um, Oh, which, which, oh, boy, oh boy you Malcolm Celtics. Brogdon. Oh, oh man. boy, you Celtics. Could Joel Embiid miss a shot? <laughs> is, is that too much to ask for? Dude and, shot, shot over 75%. And I still don't think he's going to win MVP. He, he shot 80%. I mean, hey. Well, look, talking about the Pelicans, there's no rest. You got Memphis tonight. 
And look, I, I know Ja Morant's probably not going to play. Um, because the re- one of the reasons that I, I have a feeling that he might not play is James, he was spotted in Baton Rouge earlier today. Hanging out with LSU head coach Matt McMahon, his former coach at Murray State. And then he was videoed hitting the gritty with Angel Reese. What are we hitting the gritty with, with Angel Reese? Why now? Well, no. I mean, look, Cotton, John Morant's still doubtful tonight. I mean, at that point, if he's still in Baton Rouge and we're just a couple hours from tip, I don't think he's playing. I mean, granted, Baton Rouge, New Orleans, only an hour apart, but... But at this point, you'd be warming up. Yeah, you you start to get warm up. Yeah, you 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 would be getting loose at this point two hours before tip. But they also have a couple of other people that are out or doubtful. So there's a reason why New Orleans is six and a half point favorites. So Pels need a win tonight. Um, point point blank in end of discussion. And then your final three game, your final two games after that include the Timberwolves and the Knicks. You gotta win. You gotta win those two. You just have to. Um, because otherwise the, the Pelicans are going to be in the play-in tournament, and I don't think anybody wants that because that's going to ruin any chance of making a run in, in the playoffs because I just don't see the Pelicans being built for having to win six games just to get out of the first round or even five games for, for that matter. Um, but our number one in the books here on Crunch Time, broadcasting live from the EFCO Development Studios, in Upper Lafayette, Fco Development is a civil construction company specializing in new multifamily construction. In hour number two, we're going to talk with Lucas Weiss from The Athletic as well as Brendan Ertle from Canal Street Chronicles right here on The Game, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, and your home for the World Series champion Houston Astros and the national champion LSU Tigers. You're clocked out. We're locked in. You're listening to Crunch Time with Miguez and Mesh here on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Two of Crunch Time is here on the game, Southwest Louisiana sports station, and your home for the national champion, LSU Tigers, and the World Series champion. Houston Astros, Matt Miguez, James Mesh. Give us a call on the game hotline, 337-706-0111. We're broadcasting live from the Evco Development Studios in Upper Lafayette. Evco Development is a civil construction company that specializes in new multifamily construction. In hour number one, we recapped the Astros getting an 8-2 win over the Detroit Tigers. We also talked some Louisiana Raging Cajuns as well as the New Orleans Pelicans. Here in hour number two, we're going to talk some LSU baseball. We're going to talk about the New Orleans Saints. And right now, we're going to talk some LSU basketball as well as the Masters with Lucas Weiss. He is the associate editor of news for The Athletic. Lucas, really appreciate you taking the time, man, on this Wednesday afternoon. How are you? I'm great. Thanks so much for having me on. So let's start, you know, let's go back to Sunday with the NCAA Women's National Championship game, LSU taking down Iowa 102-85. to You know, as, as somebody who, who's covered LSU all season long, one of the big issues that they had was outside shooting for, for most of the season. And Sunday afternoon when they needed it most, that was certainly not the case, going 11-17 of 17 from behind the arc. Yeah, it was a great performance from 
LSU and, and just stay remarkable women's basketball tournament. I mean, obviously that, you know, the, the headlines are, you know, the star players in, in Caitlin Clark and, and, and Angel Reese. And of course, you know, Lisa Malky getting, you know, another national title, but I just think that women's basketball is she having a moment right now? I mean, that national championship game, you know, had over 9 million viewers. It set a record for the most viewed women's college basketball game ever. So I just think that where women's basketball is right now, it's in an amazing place. You're going to have big stars returning next season, like Angel Reese, like Caitlin Clark, Paige Beckers is coming back from injury. So I just think that it is an amazing time for women's basketball, and it's just going to get better from here. And then on the men's side, you know, UConn, just really ran through the tournament. I mean, their their closest game was by 13 points. And then you get to the title game, and you thought that maybe San Diego State would be the one team that could, could corral them with the defense that they have. But the problem is, is that San Diego State didn't have a whole lot of offense coming into this game. And UConn was just able to pull away from them. Fifth national championship since 1999. Is it time to consider the Huskies as a blue blood in college basketball? I think it is. And and, and this tournament certainly, uh, you know, further evidence to that point. When, when you look at the UConn Huskies, they have won now five national championships since 1999, 99, 2004, 2011, 2014, and now 2023. And they've done it different ways. I mean, you know, they've done it, you know, with some star players. I mean, I look back to the 04 team with Amika Okafor and Eric Gordon, and then, of course, 2011 when Kemba Walker just went on an incredible run, one of the most dominant stretches in college basketball history. What I think of this 2023 team, this was a deep team. It was complete at both ends of the floor. And it's evidenced by the fact that they won every one of their games in the NCAA tournament by double digits. So it was a dominant run for UConn, and I think you have to put them in with the best programs in NCAA men's basketball. Now let, let's flip over to, to the good stuff. Let's talk about the Masters. You know, it's always a fun weekend in Augusta. You, you see the videos all week long of drivers driving down or, or golfers driving down Magnolia Lane for the first time during, during Masters Week and just the the tradition and the history behind the Masters tournament. And the fact that it falls on Easter Sunday just gives it an extra boost to to that tradition and that spectacle right no question and i just think that it's such an important sporting event on the sports calendar what a time it is in sports you have the national championship women's basketball men's basketball and then you go to the masters the first major of the year for me you know, growing up in, you know, you know, in Canada where it's often cold, uh, you know, it's often the first sign of spring, which makes it really exciting. And, and you know, the, the course brings a lot of nostalgia, memories, the fact that these golfers play Augusta National every year just adds to that history. And it's, it's going to be a fantastic week of golf. You know, 
looking at the field, one guy that's really stood out in, in preparing for this tournament is Rory McIlroy. Uh, you know, 23 career wins. He's obviously had tons of major success winning three of the four. But the one that he hasn't won is the Masters. And if you look at his history, he has made he's had multiple top 10 finishes at Augusta, including finishing in second just this past year. Is it is it finally time for the guy from Northern Ireland to, to break through and, and win his fourth major? Well, Rory McIlroy's history at the Masters is interesting because in 2011, he, of course, had a 54-hole lead and then just really unraveled on Sunday when he hit that tee shot on 10 out of bounds to the left and was never able to recover after that. But the great thing about Rory was that he rattled off four majors in the span of three years. Many people were talking like, wow, this is the next generational superstar in the game of golf. But Rory McIlroy has not won a major since 2014. So the interesting thing with Rory is you mentioned those top 10 finishes, but a lot of those top 10 finishes were backdoor top 10s. It never felt like Rory was right in the mix on Sunday in contention until last year when he made that incredible charge on Sunday. He chipped in off off on 18 from the greenside bunker. It was a raucous scene. Look, Rory is knocking at the door at majors. He's put himself in contention the last few majors last year. I think it's going to be a matter of time that he puts on the green jacket. And you never know, it might be this week. He says that you know he's learned a lot from those experiences of, of failure and not being able to, to capture a major. And hopefully he can translate that to have a successful week here at Augusta. And, you know, Scotty Scheffler winning it last year, world number one, just really been on a tear as of late, you know, winning at at Phoenix at the Waste Management Open. It's easy to to look at Scotty Scheffler as a guy who could go back-to-back, but it's so incredibly difficult to go back-to-back because if he was to pull it off, he would only be the fourth guy in history to win back-to-back Masters. And, and the other three are Tiger Woods, Jack Nicklaus, and Ben Crenshaw. Yeah. So, so I mean, you know, it would be elite company for Scotty to, to put himself in. And, and to that point, the last time a golfer has repeated at the Masters was Tiger, and that was 2001 and 2002. So that's eons ago in terms of when that occurred. But, look, Scotty's had an incredible season. It's remarkable to see someone with the year that he had last year getting to number one, four wins and six starts, which included his first major at the Masters, follow it up this year with the success that he's had winning in Phoenix and winning the Players' Championship. And I think the way Scotty Scheffler drives the ball – the way his irons have been, his approach game's been solid, and he's been able to make big putts. I just think all of that makes him one of the contenders this week to win the Masters. And, you know, I'm, I'm going to correct myself. It was not Ben Crenshaw. It was Nick Faldo that was the third golfer to go back-to-back. Now, one, one thing that, that I'm going to ask that I find incredibly I- intriguing is you talked about Tiger Woods being the last one to win the Masters back-to-back, and it was 2001 and 2002. 
Now, in 2002, I was only five years old, so I wasn't exactly you know locked into the world of golf at that point. If a guy wins a wins back to back Masters, who puts the green jacket on him the second time? Well, it's funny. It would be the golfer who put it, it on the first time. So Hideki Matsuyama, who won the 2021 Masters, who put it on Sky Scheffler last year, he would have to stick around if Sky Scheffler is in contention near the top of the leaderboard to see if he would have to put the jacket on a second time. So it's it, it would be Hideki Matsuyama who, of course, put the jacket on Sky Scheffler for his first Masters win. Chatting with Lucas Weiss of The Athletic here on Crunch Time. You know, looking at the rest of the field, Jordan Spieth's had a nice run over the last couple of months. I feel like he's a contender. Justin Thomas is always a contender. And then, you know, there's one guy that, that people kind of call me crazy for for looking at him as a contender. But, man, ha- having won it five times, I just feel like you can never count out Tiger Woods on this golf course. I know the elevation is going to to take a toll on his legs, and, and I get that, but it's Tiger Woods at Augusta. Yeah, it's it's interesting. Tiger hasn't played a lot of golf. The last competitive golf that Tiger played was Riviera, his tournament, the Genesis Invitational, back in February, and Look, it was amazing to see Tiger play so well there. I mean, he played three amazing rounds. The, the fourth round was just a little bit challenging for him. Look, Tiger says it himself. He has the game. He can still hit golf shots. And there's no one who knows Augusta National like Tiger. The knowledge of that place is just off the charts. But it's the body. It's just the walking. 72 holes that just wears on someone, you know, of that physical condition. And the weather isn't supposed to be great, and that just adds to uh, the physical concerns with, with Tiger. So, look, you, you're absolutely right. You can never count him out. I think last year was just amazing, you know, given that it was his first major since the car accident. Uh, that they was able to, you know, come back and make the cut, and even said this week during his media availability that that was just a huge victory for him just to be able to do that. Tiger doesn't know how many Masters he has left. So every time you get the chance to watch him here at Augusta, it's uh, quite a privilege, just given the illustrious career he's had. Do you think there ever comes a point where the PGA Tour allows golfers to, especially one in, in Tiger's situation, to ride a cart? We'll see. Uh, you, you know, Tiger joked about, you know, riding a buggy, you know, or around Augusta, you know, when, when it comes that time. But I think Tiger has so much pride that, you know, he, he, he just wouldn't, you know, you know, do that. You know, he, he just is someone who wants to play the game how it's supposed to be played, which is walking. Uh, but, we'll, we'll, you know, it's something to look out for, for sure. And my last question, you know, looking at, the 13th hole at Augusta, they, they made some changes to it. Um, it it's now going to play, you know, 35 to 40-ish yards longer than, than it has in the past. So normally you would see guys get on the green in two there. It was an easy birdie hole. And, and now you're going to see more layups and a little bit more conservative play. How do you think that changes the mindset for all 72 holes this weekend? 
I think it all, you know, it, it determines on the weather, I think. Given that it's supposed to be rainy, I think it's going to make that hole longer. So you're right. I think you're going to see a lot more layup. I wish there was going to be more opportunities to go for the green just because I think it makes that hole extra exciting. I think while you can make the argument it was a little bit easier with the shorter distance, the fact of the matter is if you hit that ball over the green, it makes it for a very difficult third shot. There's the possibility of landing the ball in the hazard, which could lead to a very high score on that hole. So it'll be interesting to see, but I do think come Sunday, if someone feels like they are you know, a couple shots back and they want to be aggressive, we might see some four hybrids, five irons into that green and uh, hopefully some drama on that great par five. Lucas Weiss, the associate editor of news for The Athletic, joins us here on Crunch Time. Lucas, really appreciate your time. Enjoy the Masters this weekend. Hope you have a happy Easter, and uh, we'll talk to you again down the line, my friend. Likewise. Thanks so much for having me on. And there he goes, Lucas Weiss of The Athletic. The Masters gets underway bright and early in the morning. Kevin Na and Mike Weir tee off at 7 a.m. for the Masters, looking at some of the major contributors and their tee times. Sergio Garcia is going to go at 8.12, Adam Svensson at 8.24, Shane Lowry at 8.36 a.m. Seamus Power, who hit back-to-back hole-in-ones in in the par-3 contest today, he'll tee off at 8.48 Victor Hovland, Xander Shoffley, and Tiger Woods. What a group that is. They'll tee off at 9.18 a.m. John Rahm and Justin Thomas with Cam Young. They'll go at 9.42. Sanjay Um, Hideki Matsuyama, and Cameron Smith will go at 9.54. Bryson DeChambeau tees off at 10.30. Brooks Kepka at 10.54. Phil Mickelson at 11.24 and then Dustin Johnson at 12.12 p.m., Max Homa, Scotty Scheffler, and Sam Bennett at 12.36. Roy McIlroy tees off at 12.48 p.m. Going to be a great weekend over in Augusta. Hopefully the weather can stay halfway okay. Maybe we can get a Masters champion on Sunday instead of having to wait until Monday. We'll take a timeout here on Crunch Time. We return LSU baseball run rules nickels last night. We'll recap that and look ahead to the weekend next. This is Crunch Time on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. The world-famous Harlem Globetrotters are returning to the Cajun Dome on Saturday, April 15th, and the game 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles wants to help you score tickets to the show. Text GLOBE to 337-283-8100 for a family four-pack of tickets. Shoot a text and get your tickets to be amazed at the Globetrotters' famed ball-handling skills, dunks, and laugh-out-loud antics. Got something to say to Miguez and Mesh? Hell yeah! It's easy. Just call the hotline by dialing 337-706-0111. Now back to more Crunch Time with Miguez and Mesh here on The Game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. 
Welcome back to Crunch Time 523 here on your Wednesday. Matt Miguez, James Mesh, Nichols, and LSU met at Alex Box Stadium last night. LSU run rolling Nichols 12-2 in seven innings. LSU now, you ready for this record? 25-4 and four on the season three of their four losses coming in SEC play. Tommy White hits not one, but two home runs on the season. He's now up to 10. Gavin Duga had a nice game as well with a RBI double and an RBI triple. Uh, LSU really, it was in the second inning that Nichols scored an early run to take the lead, and then from there it was pretty much all LSU. By the end of the fourth, it was 7-1, to one, and by the end of the sixth, it was 12-2. to two. So, Run rule in effect. They only played seven innings. Gavin Gidry getting the win on the mound, going one and one-third innings, struck out three while giving up no hits. Christian Little goes one and two-thirds, one hit, one run. He walked one and struck out three. Will Helmers getting an inning. Thatcher Hurd getting an inning. Bryce Collins getting one and a third. And then Micah Bucknam comes in with two-thirds innings, striking out both of the three. Two of the three batters that he faced. LSU will now look to play a top 10 matchup as they will go to Columbia, South Carolina to take on number the number six South Carolina Gamecocks. Thursday at 6, Friday at 6, and Saturday at 11. We'll, pre-game will begin tomorrow at 5.30 right here on the game. Going back to the Louisiana Rage and Cajuns, though, last night following the victory, head coach Matt Deggs and Heath Hood met with the media. Heath Hood talked about his role of being a leader when the team falls down. I, you don't I, you don't want to change much. You know, it's you play your game. You got to pick up the guys that, uh, like, whatever happens, uh, it's going to happen again, you know. It's the way baseball goes. So you just want to stay calm and go back to work, do what you got to do. He also talked about what Coach had to say after the game. Uh, just be yourself, get on base, you know, stay aggressive, play our game. Uh, really just be yourself, stay aggressive. That was it. Head Coach Matt Deggs. You know, you, you look at this game, it was 7-1 to one going into the ninth. You give up six runs in the ninth. Uh, you struck out 11 times. You gave up 13 of what Mad Dex calls freebies, which is walked batters and hit by hit batters. Uh, 13 freebies in total. It's just really a, a tough recipe. Uh, but the Cajuns were able to eke out the win. Mad Dex gave his thoughts on the game. No, no, they're not. They're not. Uh, this is not a trend we want to we want to continue. Getting beat up with fastballs, taking fastballs for strikes, uh, and not commanding fastballs. That's you know, it's good to win a game, uh, especially from the bottom of the barrel like that. That's about as low as you can get. Uh, but we can't make a habit of blowing five, six run leads. We got to get better. You know, Pepper, it, it's safe to say that head coach Matt Deggs wasn't wasn't too happy following the game. Yeah, he wasn't too excited. The fact that you gave up six runs in the ninth inning and let the game go from seven to one to seven to seven. I mean, you had to put it on Heath Hood and. You had to actually play that night thing to get the win. Like, how, how do you blow that? Coach Coach pretty put it pretty lightly. Yeah. <laughs> he put it for, because Dawson told us after the game, he had texted us in the group chat saying, look, there's like 
He he was pissed. There's only there's, like one usable there, clip. There's there's a reason we only got one clip from Matt Dex post game. He was he he was giving very short, aggressive answers. And I mean, you heard Jay allude to it in hour number one. He said that he didn't know if he had seen Tony Robichaux ever get as upset as Matt Dex was following the game last night. But it's completely understandable. Like you've got a nice cushion to win the game and not even have to bring yeah, out your batter for the I, I for turned the ninth. I turned it off. Yeah. I was like 7-1 going into the ninth. Two lanes not very Look, good. Like, like there, got- I'm going to watch. I, I, I gave my wife the TV. I was like, here you go. W- w- put on whatever you want. And then I'm scrolling through Twitter, and everybody's like, oh, no. Oh, yikes. Oh, words I can't say on Gee, the radio. Gee, golly willikers. Um, and so I was like, man, what? And so I pull pull up the stat broadcast on my phone. It says 7-7. Seven seven, and I was like, oh, I need the TV back. Just Oh man, I just look, Cotton. Game's not over till last out happens. Correct. That that is that is actual factual, sir. Damn right. I'm I'm so proud of you. I'm so proud of you. Um, did did you know that you played nine innings and you have to get three outs per inning in, in baseball? Yeah, and if my math serves correctly, it's twenty seven. That's twenty seven outs. Yeah, that's twenty seven outs. Uh, you had 26 when you were leading seven to three, and you just couldn't get out number 27. But you know, the the big thing here is that the Cajuns won the game and they got to that first short term goal of theirs, which was 20 wins before 10 losses. Um, they're sitting at 20 and nine now, six and three in the Sun Belt, 16 and five inside MLT Moorefield at Russo Park this weekend there in Charleston, West Virginia, playing at GoMart Ballpark in Charleston, West Virginia. Uh, they will play a three-game set with the Marshall Thundering Herd. GoMart Ballpark is the home of the Charleston Dirty Birds. That's right. A minor league team named the Charleston Dirty Birds. That's the thing that I love about minor league teams. And I don't know, I'm getting off topic here, but the mascots. I mean, Dirty Birds, Trash Pandas, Jumbo Shrimp, Biscuits. Space Cowboys. Space Cowboys, Isotopes, Chihuahuas. Bananas. Uh, they're not a minor league team, but, but I mean, it's it's one of those teams point, that are. Yeah. Um, the the hooks, like there's so many, just out that Biloxi has the shuckers, the Pensacola Blue Wahoos, uh, Akron is the Rubber Ducks, and the the New Orleans Baby Cakes. Like there's just so many off-the-wall teams that when you read it, you go, who came up with that? Like, who thought that was a good idea? Well, to be fair, at a certain point, you kind of get tired of saying, oh, the whatever Tigers, the whatever Wildcats, the Bulldogs. Like, you kind of, at a certain point, are kind of over using the same 20 mascots. So the fact that they're using the creativity and going with these out-of-the-box names, I love it. The creativity is on a whole nother level in the minors and even in other leagues, like how we see the Savannah Bananas. Uh, 
It's so it's so funny. I love it. But anyways, we'll take a timeout here on Crunch Time. When we return, Brendan Ertle will join us. We'll talk New Orleans Saints. Jalen Hyatt scheduled to take a visit to the Saints as well as TCU running back Kendra Miller. We'll talk about those two guys and what they could bring to the New Orleans offense next. This is Crunch Time on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Golf's, fa- golf's first major is a tradition unlike any other, and now you can bet on who will you think will win Augusta on Fandle. Right now, all coasters can get a bonus bets back if, a gu- if your Augusta pick doesn't win but finishes at least in the top 10. I'm going to take Rory McIlroy to win at Augusta. I'm going to take Scotty Scheffler to at least play well, and then Jordan Spieth to finish in the top 20. There's no better place to bet than on Fandle because right now is the perfect time. The app is easy to use. There's so many different ways and betting options, and when you win, you'll get paid instantly. So drive down Magnolia Lane and take a swing at the betting at the first major. Visit Fandle.com slash KLWB and get bonus bets back if your Augusta pick doesn't win but at least finishes in the top 10. That's Fandle.com slash KLWB. You must be 21 and older and present in Louisiana, permitted parishes only. Refunds are issued as nominal drawable bonus bets that expire in seven days after the receipt. Max bonus $25 unless otherwise specified. Restrictions apply. See full terms at fanduelcom sportsbook. And if you or someone you know has a gambling problem, what's up? Call 1-877-770-STOP. He's going to go. Touchdown, Saints. Who's ready for some New Orleans Saints talk? We are. Here is Good At Wednesdays with Canal Street Chronicles' Brendan Ertle on Crunch Time with Miguez and Mesh. Brendan Ertle. What's going on, sir? How are you? What's up? Doing good. So let's talk about the New Orleans Saints. They're hosting visits with draft prospects left and right right now. Hendon Hooker met with the Saints earlier this week. Kendra Miller and Jalen Hyatt are supposed to be a couple other guys that are meeting with the Saints this week. You know, out of all of those guys, is there one that you would want over the others, or do you not want any of them? Um, I think the, the visiting process is something that's always been pretty unique to me because – you know, the Saints have drafted people with pretty high picks that they never, you know, had an official visit with. And um, sometimes that's just the way things go. You know, sometimes they think uh, we got to bring in this guy for another visit for whatever reason. We didn't get enough information the first time. Um, I know the Saints like to have visits with players that they're interested in, like in environments that they're familiar with, like, um, like they have with, you know, the Ohio State players and Jackson Smith and Jigba. Uh, meeting them all kind of together and have them being around each other, just seeing how they react uh, react to each other and uh, how they are just in everyday lives. But yeah, I, I think um, there's brought in some interesting ones. I, I think Hedden Hooker was probably the biggest thing that they've brought in. Um, I, I, ne- I wouldn't necessarily want him in the first or maybe even second round, but if you know he's there. Um, start a third, that's something I would consider. But I would say the biggest one in terms of excitement would be Jan Hyatt. I think he is, um, I mean, you know, he was the Blitnikoff Award winner. Like, that's not something that's easily done. Um, does he have a real fit here? Um, I think you'd have to work his way and kind of, you know, find a, a role for him. But I think the Saints kind of have a, a spot in the slot that can be, you know, taken over if that's MT or if 
Um, Alave can do a little bit more of that, but I think they could use someone like that in the slot. Um, and it doesn't hurt to ever add more speed. So um, that's someone I'd definitely like to bring in. You know, it's so interesting that that you you picked Jalen Hyatt because you know I was I was all sold on on Jalen Hyatt, and everybody told me, "Oh no, the Saints can't get Jalen Hyatt. They already have Chris Alave. They're the same receiver." No, I, I, here's the thing. Here's what I'll keep going back to. What was it? Two years ago, when we were in the deep Odell Beckham Jr. midseason, you know, free me from the Cleveland Browns. When that was that situation, what was the conversation like on Saints Twitter? We don't have enough room. There's not enough room for him in the YRC room. We have seen over and over and over and over and over again that's not a thing. There's no such thing as lack of depth. Last year, we thought we had a ton of depth. You look at the paper, MT, Jarvis, Olave. It's like, wow, we're deep. We can, there's, no, there's no reason to have Odell. Odell would have been a, a huge part of what they did last year. Th- there is no such thing as not enough depth, and especially at the wide receiver room, and especially in their room with you know MT and the question mark he has, and you know, you're going to be relying on two second-year guys to um, really pick up the load. So um, I'm all for it. There, there's no reason that you shouldn't there the nfl you're in the business of gathering talented players if there's an opportunity to get a talented player you absolutely do it so one one thing i've got to ask taylor lawan i know he's i know he's 31 years old he's still got football left in him he's in baton rouge right now <laughs> if, if, if you're the saints do you do you take the hour drive west and, and go have a conversation with him I mean, John Morant's in Baton Rouge right now, too, so I, I don't know what you're saying, but um, I, I, I don't know if that's for his podcast or whatnot, or if he's, you know, I don't know what he's doing, but I'm a fan of his, and I think um, if the price was right, um, sure, bring him in, and if you would want to start, I don't know what his situation is like, um, if he's really looking for a championship right now or whatnot, but I could see him going to, like, you know, Kansas City or somewhere like that just to sign a one-year deal and chase a championship. But that would be an interesting option. I don't think it necessarily costs a ton either. Um, he's had some injury issues as well. So I think tackle is an interesting spot for them. Um, you look at kind of like the draft needs, and I don't think tackle is one of them. I don't think it's a want or a need, but it's a position where they draft one. You know, it's probably because Ramchek's knee is like a little iffy or um, – you know, then they're unsure about uh, Trevor Penning, but I, I don't. I, I think they like what they have in, in him. But you know, I'll always take the depth, and um, James Hurst provided some pretty good depth inside as well. So maybe they can kick him inside and uh, bring in a guy like that. With Ja Morant being in Baton Rouge visiting his former college coach and Matt McMahon and hitting a gritty with Angel Reese just a couple hours before tip off, do you think it's safe to say that his doubtful means that he's he's out tonight? Probably I mean, safe to assume that, right? That's kind of a far drive. It's not. It's no like cakewalk, and I'm sure the Grizzlies are already in that arena. So you can go ahead and uh, sketch him in pen that he's out, and I don't think the Pelicans fans will have any complaints with that. No, because the Pelicans desperately need a win in this contest. Mm-hmm. You know, the the Saints re-signed Andrew Dow earlier this week. You know what? what what are your thoughts on that move? What can he bring to the Saints linebacking core? And the Saints still have some money to work with. Do you see him doing anything over the next couple of weeks? 
Yeah, I, I think um, money-wise first, uh, I don't necessarily see them doing anything huge in the next few weeks. I think, and they've kind of always operated this way, I don't think they'll go into the season with that much money, but like we kind of saw last year, after the draft, they filled their needs and there were still some large, uh, some large holes. Uh, one of those was safety, and that was a humongous hole that they filled after uh, the draft. And I think they'll probably take a similar path. Um, you know, if they don't get the defensive tackle that they love, if they don't get the defensive end that they love, um, if they don't find, you know, potentially guard depth in the draft, they could go after that. Um, those are all things that take place and after the draft the compact formula is thrown out the window too so um they'd be saving their compacts as well by spending after the draft i think that's kind of what a lot of teams are doing now um a lot of teams are shifting their focus to the draft as we're seeing with all the visits uh the things they're doing so i don't think that they're gonna you know lose out on anyone if if they wait till after the draft i think all the teams are focusing on that right now and uh Andrew Dowell, I think the linebacking core was a, a low-key want in this draft, um, and, and it will be because just the lack of depth. I mean, you lost Caden Ellis. Uh, I don't know what you have left in Zach Bond. Uh, I don't know if his experiment's over or whatnot, or if we can you know, hope for a Caden Ellis-type explosion from him. But you look at the linebacking core, it's kind of thin. You know, you know if Pete Warner goes down for a week with an ankle sprain, um, who's starting for him? And uh, they didn't need to find that next guy. And Andrew Dowell's great on special teams. I, I think that he can um, really be one of the best uh, and kind of mold into a JT Gray kind of role. And I'm also excited for their uh, rookie that didn't play last year, DeMarco Jackson, and see what he has. So I think that's something they could address, you know, late day two, day three of the draft. Um, but there's also some sole linebackers out there in free agency. So if they feel like, that depth is, is worrisome, I would definitely go after that as well. And then, Brendan, looking at the draft, I mean, at this point, we've kind of got a good idea of where some people could go. Saints probably going to stay at 29. Let's say they do, because they do like to tend to draft up a little bit and trade up to go get a certain guy. Who do you see the Saints taking at 29 for right now? It's 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 hard because the later you get in the draft, it's it's kind of hard to predict. Last year was probably the only time that majority of Saints fans and Saints reporters got that analysis right of who they wanted, um, and that was Chris Olave. Uh, we kind of all assumed that they'd go after one of the tackles, and they did that as well. So that was pretty. That was an obvious thing. Now in this situation, I could see them doing a few things. Um, at twenty nine, it's a lot different than being at you know, 13 or 12 like they were last year. Um, I think they have put themselves in a position where they can take the best available player. Um, I don't think they, like, absolutely need to take a defensive tackle. I know there's a handful of guys that will be in that range that kind of um, excite me. Um, I mean, we could go down the list of the defensive tackles that will be there, but um, I think that that's what the buzz is right now is that the Saints want a pass-rushing uh, run defending defensive tackle, and I don't know if you can find that at 29. Uh, if they'd move up, uh, package those two picks, the first and second up to go get one of those guys, you absolutely do it. I think that's something that, that you need to do. And they haven't really had a, a defensive tackle that's affected the pass rusher since uh, Sheldon Rankins, honestly. So um, I think that's a need. Um, but I also wouldn't be surprised if you know they felt like 
you know, Michael Myers sitting there, um, or Mayor, <laughs> Michael Mayer sitting there at uh, 29, and you feel like he's the best head in the draft, uh, you might as well take him. Yeah, for me, I'm I'm doing mesh mock drafts, and we have it on 1037thegame.com, 1041thegame.com. For me, I had t- taken Miles Murphy with the 29th pick because – that's how that's how I had landed to go get another edge rusher. I I, I understand go get Meyer, but they never go get tight ends. They get receivers and running backs if they're going to mm-hmm. get specialists, but they tend to go with offensive and defensive line. Yeah, and, and that that's the thing with with Miles Murphy. He's probably one of my favorites. Um, Miles Murphy, Miles Murphy, and Lucas Van Ness. I think those are the two prototype RS guys that really make sense. But I don't know if they last late 20s. Like, I would package up to go get Miles Murphy. I don't know if I would trade a ton to go up and get it, but that's the one that, you know, that 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 is like a Rashawn Gary kind of guy. I feel like he has that kind of skill. And if, um, if the Saints really want to improve that defensive line, I don't think they, they need to necessarily go get a project. I think it needs to be someone that can start tomorrow. And I think – Miles and Lucas are two guys that definitely could. I just don't know if they last all the way to 29. Now, Brendan, you know, looking at obviously we're always going to talk draft trades. You know, if a, you know, Bijan Robinson or a Jordan Addison or even a Jackson Smith and Jigba is hanging around, you know, 22, 23, do you see the Saints maybe moving up? Mickey Loomis has a history. He absolutely does, and we all know that there's one player on that whiteboard right now that is circled and that they'll do everything they want to do to go get him. Um, and we know that Cesar Ruiz, when they drafted him, they tried to trade up for him. Um, it's, it's something that they felt like they needed to do. Thankfully, they didn't, and they got him at whatever pick that. I think it was like 25 or something like that. Um, they got him, and they always target their guys. Um, Jackson Smith and Jigba, it's definitely someone that will maybe last around the teens, early 20s. Maybe he slides a little bit just because of his injury in his past season. But, you know, I can't predict who that guy will be. But Bijan Robinson is someone that I think it's a matter of should or shouldn't because the running back position is valued a lot differently than um, it probably should be. I think he's probably a top 10 prospect in the draft and teams will wait on him because they think, um, you know, the running back position is, is what it is right now. And I wouldn't even be surprised if a team like um, the Chargers draft him it, with, with their issues with Eckler. If they feel like it's a one more year thing with Austin Eckler, they take him and then move on from Eckler. I think teams are trying to avoid paying that position. And um, if the Saints could land him, that'd be great. But I don't know if they necessarily trade up for, you know, running back. Brendan Ertle of Canal Street Chronicles joining us. Brendan, appreciate your time as always. Hope you have a happy Easter this weekend. And uh, we'll do it again next week, my friend. Yes, sir, and congrats to the Lady Cats. That was, that was a lit weekend. There you go. Brendan Ertle of Canal Street Chronicles joining us here on Crunch Time. We'll take a timeout and we'll wrap up today's show right after this. This is Crunch Time on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. 
If you're tired of your boring man cave, the game 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles wants to hook you up with the ultimate man cave makeover built by Lafayette Marble and Granite. Sign up today in the clubhouse for a chance to win a new recliner from Borderlands Furniture, a flat screen TV from AVI, and much more. It's the ultimate man cave makeover powered by Lafayette Marble and Granite and the game, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. From the Louisiana Raging Cajuns to the latest with the New Orleans Saints and Pelicans. Miguez and Mesh cover it all. I'm not worried. Uh, I think it's something that I can get under control. Now back to more Crunch Time with Miguez and Mesh here on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Welcome back to Crunch Time 556 as we get ready to wrap up today. James, the Pelicans at home tonight against the Grizzlies. Grizzlies looking like they're going to be without Ja Morant. You know, the Pelicans desperately need this win like we talked about earlier. You really got to go 3-0 from here on out if you want to avoid the the play-in tournament. What has to happen tonight to get a win over Memphis? You're going to need better shooting from C.J. McCollum. You're going to need a more efficient night. You're going to need Jonas Valanciunas to be able to crash the boards. You don't necessarily need a double-double from him, but boy, is that going to help. I mean, if you can get... 8 to 10 rebounds and then get him to put in at least mid-teen numbers when it comes to points. Yeah, that that should help and then having the offense flow through Brandon Ingram overall cuz whenever it's whenever it goes through him and he's able to find the open man and find Trey Murphy for an open 3, that's going to be successful for the Pels to be able to win. Early pick for the Masters. Who wins it? Give me Rory. Ooh. Rory wouldn't surprise me. I want Rory to win. Mm-hmm. I'm going with the dark horse. I'm going with Jordan Spieth. Ooh. And if, you, if you're wondering with my Fanduel read, I have him at least in the top 20. Yeah, I mean, I think, I th- I think, I think he's, he's, he's going to do pretty well in, this, in Augusta. Yeah, no, absolutely. I want to thank our guests today, Jay Walker, Lucas Weiss, and Brendan Ertle for joining us. For James Mesh, I'm Matt Miguez. Be safe, be well, give a hug to your mom and them. And we're back tomorrow for a... Thursday fun show right here on the game. Southwest Louisiana Sports Station and your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Jim Gazzola with the McNeese Coaches Show is next.